Uh, we're going to be getting into a, a five-week study, and it's, on, uh, the, it's called the four chairs. I know it's confusing, five weeks, four chairs. But uh, what we're going to get into is uh, the challenge of what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to be a disciple of Christ, and to move and grow in our faith, to take that next step. What's that going to look like? So we're going to get into that these next few weeks. These are some great uh, questions and uh, just, again, conversation starters, action points over that time, uh, free. So just go back to the welcome area and ask for that. We'll make sure you get that. Uh, and again, that's going to be really important. And uh, we love where we're headed in this study of being a disciple of Christ and then allowing Christ to work through us, that we're not just a church focused on making disciples, but making disciple makers, that we take the message of Christ and then we help other people with the hope of Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you and we praise you and we love you for all that you have done. We're just so thankful for your amazing grace, your unconditional love, your forgiveness. Lord, that you believe in us even when we do not believe in ourselves. And Lord, we have within us this amazing message that we can share with a broken world. So Lord, help us to be your disciples who are focused on making disciples. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we're going to be getting into, uh, it's called the four chairs. And so each Sunday when you come, you're going to see actually different chairs representing where people are in their spiritual walk. And uh, we're going to challenge you, all of us, uh, to be praying, Lord, where are you calling me to go? What do I need to grow in in my life? So I thought it was really important today to just start the very foundational question, and that is, what is a disciple. Now, the literal Greek term is simply a disciple is a learner or a follower. I love, uh, in a book by Greg Ogden, Discipleship Essentials, this is how he describes a disciple. A disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple is a lifelong process of dying to self while allowing Christ to live in us. Let me say that again. A disciple is one who responds in faith and obedience to the gracious call of Christ Jesus. Being a disciple is a lifelong process. Would you just say process with me? Process. Because here's the deal. It's not a quick fix. When you are pursuing Jesus Christ and you're living out the life of Christ, you are dying to yourself, but it is a lifelong process. And we make it uh, much more complicated when we just don't do what God's called us to do. But our challenge is to simply say, Lord, I want to be a disciple. And I want to be a part of a church where discipleship is paramount. Uh, there's a book that I'm going to highly recommend, and it's called uh, The Four Chair Discipling by Dan Spader. And you're going to hear a lot about uh, this strategy, which I think is spot on, uh, because Dan Spader has been doing this his entire life, is just challenging uh, churches to get into the disciple-making business. And uh, I love what he does. And so a few years ago, just to give you a little background, a group of us from Sherwood Oaks, about five or six on staff, went to a really intense uh, Life of Christ study led by Dan Spader. And uh, it was we would meet once a month for an entire day. Then there's all kinds of homework. Uh, but it helped me so much to grow in my faith of Christ. And what was interesting is 
at the time we were going down to Southeast Christian Church. Does anybody know where that's at? Raise your hand if you've been to that little place. Uh, okay, so on a normal Sunday, they'll run with all their campuses, about 20,000, a little bit of church, and they brought Dan Spader in to disciple their eldership and their staff. Okay, that's pretty impressive. Five years, five years that he invested in their staff and their elders. And when he met with all of their elders, he was talking about discipleship, and he could just see this really puzzled look in her eye, like we're still not following how that applies to a church. And so he said, well, I'm going to make this easy, not just for you, but for everybody. I need to do a better job. And so he started writing down like all these different symbols, and he realized, I'm going to go with a chair. So he actually came up with four chairs, and he said, I want you to think about your life in one of these chairs, and that as a church, you're trying to move people through all of these chairs, and they got it. And I hope we get it too, because that's why we're here. Chairs are so important in life. How many of you here right now, if I say you have a favorite chair, you have a favorite chair? Raise your hand. How many guys have a chair right now you love, not as much as your mother, but it's close? You know what I'm saying? You have that kind of chair. Okay. Um, or how many husbands have ever heard this? Your wife will say, have you moved out of your chair yet? Have you ever heard that? I think it's rude and wrong at, at so many levels, but all of us can understand chairs. Movies, for example. Uh, chairs really are important in a lot of movies and what a chair communicates. For example, a chair can be used as an extension of the world when you watch a movie. Juno. You saw Juno, you remember she started by saying it all started with a chair. A chair can be used as an extension of a particular character. Uh, who does this brilliantly is Pixar. Uh, animation, if you're my age, you remember the Jetsons. When you saw the furniture, you thought, oh, that says something. But there was a little movie Pixar had a few years ago that just was uh, so heartwarming, and it's the movie Up. And if you remember Up, there's a three-minute section at the very beginning that told their entire story, Carl, and his wife, Ellie. And if you look carefully, Carl looked like his chair. And Ellie looked like her chair. And then you, they pan out and you realize there's an empty chair. And you can just feel the emptiness of that person who should be in that chair. A chair can also be an extension of a situation. Here's probably right now the most famous chair out there. It's from the Game of Thrones. I haven't watched it. I know some of you sinners do, but uh, <laughs> this, this is like the ultimate chair. You can go on Etsy right now and buy that chair for $9,000, okay? And there's only 107 days left till Christmas, so there you go. I suggested first service. Maybe Tom Elsworth would love that. I, I think I'll look in his office. Maybe I need another job. I don't know. But anyway, we all know about chairs, we know the significance of chairs. So when you hear about chairs these weeks to come, I hope and I pray that God will encourage you to grow because I'm praying for God to help me grow. Dan Spader said this, and I love this quote, we carry a flame so great in value that there is no comparison. The Olympic pales against the eternal significance of the ministry for which Jesus entrusts us. If you're like me, uh, I love the Olympics, and when they run in with the torch, that never gets old. And when they get to the final person they give it to, and they're like, we don't know who it's going to be. We don't know who it's going to be. That's, that's just great. 
In 96, I loved it when they handed it off to Muhammad Ali. I remember he was shaking and he lit the flame. Well, that's a great flame, but you know what? That's temporary. But the flame of Jesus Christ that we have, man, what we're passing on to others, that can change their life. It's eternal. And to me, that's what discipleship is. It's taking Jesus Christ and giving it to others. So I thought about defining what a disciple is by characteristics of a disciple and a follower of Christ. And it, it may help you to remember this, so I'm going to use three Ds so that we can remember this. First is simply devoted. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he wants you devoted. Look at Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 11. What, what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It's in your heart. And that is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Have you ever thought about those early disciples and what separated them from the masses of people who were intrigued and following Jesus from a distance? I mean, what was it that separated them? Was it their power? Absolutely not. They had no money. They really weren't powerful. Maybe it was their position. Well, we know that they weren't politically strong. Maybe it was their pedigree. There was nothing about their names that set them apart. There was really only one thing. They were sold out to Jesus. Now, were they fractured and flawed and broken? Absolutely. But they were all in when it came to Jesus. When you hear that word devotion, you know that it means love, loyalty. It's enthusiasm for a person, an activity, or an object. We know what devotion is. Now, if you're parents and grandparents and you've watched your kids live through the teenage years, don't you love it when they fall in love? They're just goofy. You know what I'm saying? And then you'll have that conversation and you'll say, I, I think you're really, I think you're really into that. I've got two daughters. I think you're really into that guy. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you're putting makeup on the first time in your life. You're not eating. You're either in love or I don't know what you are, but you are in love, you know, so we go through what that means. What is it when you're in love? What do you do when you're in love? I want you to look at Revelation 2, and I just want to share this with you, because this is something that ought to tug on all of our hearts. In Revelation, John is speaking to the churches, and the very first church that he speaks to is Ephesus. In verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. But, now this is so powerful, you have preserved and you have endured hardships for my name, and you've not grown weary. Yet, I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Do you notice what the warning was? You've lost your passion. Do you remember who you love? And all of us need to be reminded, do you remember when you gave yourself and you gave your heart to Jesus Christ? Do you love him like that? And if you 
do not love him like your first love, that's where it all begins. That's where the devotion begins. Is that easy? No. Any relationship knows how hard it is to maintain that love. Now, I don't know about you, but I think it's, it's interesting, the passions that people have for things. Have you ever noticed that? Now, being in the ministry for a long time, I've had a lot of funerals. And it's interesting when I sit down with the family, I hear what people love. Now, again, I think it's neat. Like somebody will say, oh, he just loves such and such a team. Or, oh, she just loves flowers. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, that's, that's fine. And I'll even have people say, can you work in a poem or can you work in a lyric from this song? I had a funeral one time. They're like, uh, my dad just loves Frank Sinatra. Can you, can you share a Frank Sinatra song? Oh, I'd love to do it. You know, that's great. Uh, what's interesting is when you have these conversations and you never hear Jesus. There comes a point like, yeah, I get it. They love the color red. They, I'm listening. Okay. And every so often I want to say, I, the Lord is the Lord in, in this. See, I hope in my life someday when folks are sitting out with my family, uh, other than saying, you know, my dad fell on his head a lot, I hope they also say, you know, my dad did love the Lord. He was devoted to the Lord. I was at a funeral a few months ago, a minister from Bedford, his name is Mark Fugit, and he shared this story. I just love this. He was a young minister, and he said um, he was meeting with this family, and they were sharing, you know, here's what we'd like you to do. And the, the, the little old lady, the widow, said, um, you seem to have a really nice voice. My husband has a song. It was his favorite song. Would you sing that after the final, after the message? He's... He said, sure. Now, he's assuming it's going to be amazing grace, you know, or I can only imagine. You know, he's, he's in his mind, he loved Jingle Bells. Can you sing Jingle Bells? So he paused, he goes, the, the Christmas song, Jingle Bells. She goes, the whole thing. Yes, I will do that for you. So at the end of the message, the very last thing, he stands up in acapella, and he gave it all he had. Jingle Bells, you know. And uh, he could see the heads start to go sideways. You know how, like, sometimes your dog gives you that look like, uh-huh, you know, it's like that. And he's like, you know, could feel the sweat under his collar. And so finally it was over. He's like, oh, praise the Lord, you know. And uh, afterwards, <laughs> she, she walks up to him. She goes, it wasn't jingle bells. It was ring those golden bells. <laughs> that's, a, that's a bad day. That's a bad day. We all are passionate about something. I'll never sing Jingle Bells the same. Here's a second D, determined. Not only are we called to be a disciple who is devoted, we are determined. And determination goes a long way. 1 Timothy 4, uh, verse 11 through 15 says this, Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, in purity. And until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and to the teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given through a prophetic message. When the body of elders laid their hands on you, be diligent. There it is, determined. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholeheartedly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Dwight D. Eisenhower said it this way, it's not the size of the dog in the fight, it's the size of the fight in the dog. 
determination. You have to approach the relationship with Christ knowing there are going to be rough days, and you've got to be determined to serve Jesus. Now, that's not always easy. I shared with first service, I was just being honest. Um, I don't know about you guys, but when it's a little cool, a breeze coming through my bedroom window, and it's raining outside, that is like opt- that's like primetime sleep. And I get up really early on Sunday morning so the alarm won't goes off. Now, I wish I could tell you my first thought was, thank you, Jesus. I can't wait to go to church today. My first thought was, oh, I don't like being a minister. I re- you know, I mean, really. Now, again, I repented. Last, it took me about an hour ago. But anyway, I, I got over that. But I mean, we've all been there. I mean, aren't there Sundays like, honestly, you don't want to go to church? I mean, if we're honest, I had you raise your hand. Some of you are like, I kind of wish I hadn't gone. You know, I get that. I get what it, the tension sometimes, and it's, here's what it takes in our faith. Sometimes it just takes determination. Because it, I'll just be honest, this is one of my greatest pet peeves with not just preachers, just Christians in general, when they're talking to other folks that are not Christians, and they make it sound like following Jesus is so easy. Because it's not easy. It's hard. It's not cotton candy and unicorns. There are days when it's like, man, this is hard to live out my faith. This is hard to pursue. And there are times, guess what? You don't feel like it. It's not this emotional fervor. I mean, it's just, I'm doing it because I know it's right. Not because it's easy. Not because I'm emotionally charged. I do it because I'm determined to follow Jesus Christ. I read this quote the other day, and I love it. It says, our works do not save us, but our works can save others. And that's true. Works don't save you. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But you never know that your hard work, your diligence, your determination, rolling up your sleeves, doing what God has called you to do may be the bridge so that somebody else can experience the grace of Jesus Christ. We don't get awards There's no prizes. We simply are determined to follow Jesus. One of the things that I shared that I think is is great, we have this brochure for all the uh, life group leaders. And what I love about it, it not only has uh, an outline for all the, the chairs and where we're headed, but it has some action points. And one of them is called Live It Out. I love that. So there's a challenge every week how you can live it out. So here's your challenge. If you want to write this on your bulletin, Uh, The three of you that are taking notes, I appreciate it. But if you want to write this down, here's your challenge. To share with two people the love of Christ this week. Two people. Now, how you do that, that's between you and God. I'm not saying knock on your neighbor's door and say, hey, minister challenged me to love you, so you need to let me inside. I'm going to share the four spiritual laws, okay? (laughs) Open up. You know, that's not what I'm saying. That's next week. But this week, love someone that God's laid on your heart. So God's laid two names on your heart, and you wrote it on your bulletin. This week, do something about it. Maybe it's a text. Maybe it's just doing something creative to help someone. But you're doing it because you want to demonstrate the love of Christ. People need to experience the love of Christ all the time. Yesterday, I had a chance uh, to experience this. I'm so proud of. We've got so many folks that are helping out this weekend and next weekend with the Emmaus Walk. And Sherry Sherrill, 
is leading out next week. She's coordinating the women's group, and I'm going to be there next week. And at the end, she, uh, she made these crosses for all of us. Her and her daughter did this together. Elizabeth did this together. And with her hands, I mean, I thought of the time that she spent, and I think that was just her way of saying, I want you to experience the love of Christ. And I thought a lot about that. I thought, boy, you know, there's a lot of days that go by, and I don't do that. I don't let people experience the love of Christ through me near enough. But we can all do that. However, I'd just like to take a moment, and uh, I'd just like to pray for everyone that's a part of the Emmaus communities, because uh, that's a huge part of what we do here. So let me just pray for them. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all the workers uh, that have invested so much in the Emmaus uh, and the Chrysalis and Kairos. I just think of so many folks here at Sherwood Oaks, at all the campuses, that uh, they invest so much time because they love you so much and they are determined that others will feel your love. Thank you for their heart, for their service, and for their example. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. The other part of that text that I absolutely love is as he's talking to Timothy, Paul, he's basically saying, don't use anything as an excuse. Don't let people look down on you because you're young. But I think he's also saying to all of us, don't let your age ever be an excuse. Be determined to serve the Lord. Do whatever it takes. And here's the last word, and that is the word deployed. Deployed. We're devoted and we're determined, but you realize we're deployed for action. You can be comfortable or you can be courageous, but you cannot be both. And you got to say, Lord, move me. I don't care who you are or where you're setting or what you're going through. My prayer for you and for me over these next few weeks are move me. Lord, help me to grow closer to you. Help me to take the next step. Help me not to get buried in excuses. Help me to realize I am deployed for you. I'm deployed to serve you. Matthew 9 is one of the most heart-wrenching scriptures because we see the heartbeat of Jesus. In verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all of the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. And then he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. Can't you just feel the ache in the heart of Jesus? He's reaching out and he's giving everything he can. He's healing and he's teaching. And then he sees the masses of people. And he knows how he describes them. They are helpless like sheep without a shepherd. They said, but there's just not enough people to help. I look around this room and I think of how many of you have been on mission trips and how many of you have I've talked to uh, that shared how empty you feel uh, when you go somewhere and you see all these people, masses of people, and you think, oh, my land. They haven't even heard the message of Jesus Christ. And how many hundreds and thousands of times I've heard the message and it, it just, I'm numb to it. Somebody needs to do something. You ever felt like that? You get angry, like somebody needs to do something. And uh, 
God may be saying, well, you are somebody. Do something. Don't make excuses. Do something. Do you have that hurt in your heart that people are helpless? Now, let me just say to all of you that are working hard right now in the church and serving others, I'm praying for you too because I know it's hard. Uh, I know all about the 80-20 rule. Anybody know what that 80-20 rule is? 80% of the work is being done by 20% of people. And being at church my whole life, I will tell you, even at church potlucks, 20% of the people eat 80% of the food. You know, it applies all across. And here's what happens when you're one of the 20%, you'd burn out. And then if you're like me, you start getting mad. That's a real Christ-like thing. You're, I would love to tell you, when I go to the car every Sunday, I have this really great attitude. There are times I'm like, I cannot believe, are you, are you kidding me? Are they ever going to work? I'm not calling out names. I'm just saying, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying there's this tension of, come on. But folks, we all know that. We know that frustration of getting burnt out. I, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. What I'm saying is that we, we are deployed to serve Jesus Christ. And honestly, I love the fact that we're deployed. It's the greatest call is to serve Jesus Christ and to serve others. There are certain days on our calendar that as Americans, whether you live through it or not, you remember these days. So I'm going to share a few, and I want you to speak up if you know what day I'm talking about. December 7th, 1941. Anybody know what that was? Pearl Harbor. When I was in Illinois, a little church in central Illinois, uh, one Sunday, this was years ago, but it, uh, December 7th was on a Sunday morning. And this was the 8 o'clock service. So these were older members of our church. And I said, before I preach today, this is December 7th, and I want to know, how many of you vividly remember December 7th, 1941? Boy, these hands started going up. And I said, would anybody like to share their most vivid memory? And his name was Chick Holmes, the greatest guy. Chick Holmes hadn't gained a pound since he was like, he's just one of these fit guys, carpenter, and never talked. And he raised his hand and goes, oh, I remember that day. And so what Chick tell me about it? And he said, well, I was 17, and we were playing football. It was a beautiful day. A bunch of us playing football at the high school. And he said, there was a buddy, and he had his car, and the car door was open, music's playing. I'm thinking, it doesn't get any better than this. He said, all of a sudden, he started yelling, hey, guys, get over here. We ran over to the car, and now they're beginning to broadcast Pearl Harbor. He says, I remember... As a senior in high school, we looked at each other and we said, we're going to war. And he goes, I don't mean the country's going to war. He said, I knew it. We are going to war. So he said, yeah, John, I remember December 7th. Yeah, we remember days like that. November 22nd, 1963. Anybody remember that? John F. Kennedy was assassinated. 96% of the world for three days was glued to a TV. People couldn't believe it. And then September 11th, 2011. I guarantee those of you that lived through that vividly remember that day. And you knew everything was going to change. Didn't we all know that? Everything was going to change. There's so many images but what I found interesting was what happened after the towers fell in New York. 
there was a massive nine-month cleanup. 50,000 paid staff were part of that cleanup. 40,000 volunteers poured in from all over in the cleanup. There was 1.8 million tons of wreckage. 1.8 million tons cleaned up in nine months. But here's the most heart-wrenching thing were all the personal effects of those who died that day. 65,000 items. Of those, there were 437 watches, and this is the hard one, 144 wedding rings. So here's the question. Why would 90,000 people spend endless hours going through rubble? Because of the money? No. Because it was personal. I think, it's, I think when they went through that rubble, they thought, this is somebody's dad, somebody's brother. There's a grandpa. Oh, I just found somebody's wedding ring. And I think that made it real. They were deployed to serve because of their hearts. We don't serve Jesus out of guilt. We serve Jesus because we love him so much because he loved us. That's what this is all about in these weeks to come. That we all have the courage to say, Lord, here's where I'm at, but I don't want to stay here. Lord, I, I want to grow. Lord, I want to do more. Not because I feel guilty. Lord, I want to do more because you love me that much. That's what this is all about. Devoted and determined and deployed to just go. Go.